everybody, uh, who does not want to build a finance function which is world class? I think every CFO wants it. But what is the right path to it? It's, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today uh, with our excellent panel. So welcome to the Mid-Market CFO Circle Live. I'm your host, Madhurima Gupta. We launch new podcasts every Thursday on CFO Circle Community. So if you're not on the CFO Circle Community yet, you can join today. It's free access to your peer insights on technology trends, predictions, and the potential cost of not implementing automation and emerging technology to solve CFO office challenges on a regular basis. Uh, so to kickstart today's CFO Circle Live, let me introduce you to our panel of CFOs today, uh, Blair Cook and Wayne Spivak. I'll start with Blair. Uh, he has held the position of corporate director at various organizations. He is an author as well. He's currently working as CFO of Mara Renewable Corporation. And Blair co-founded Executive Finance Partners in 2012, where he works with startups, growth and turnaround companies as advisor and executive. Blair has helped many companies to test the academic and real-world theories, practices, and will help us understand today by sharing his experiences. So welcome to CFO Circle, Blair. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Next up, we have Wayne Spivak with us. Uh, he also has held various positions like that of a CFO, CIO, and COO across many companies in his three-decade-long career. Right now, he's working as the CFO and president of SBA Consulting. He is also an instructor with Illumio Academy. Hey, Wayne, welcome. Uh, we appreciate you joining us today. It's nice to be here. So for our listeners, as promised, uh, in this session, we will get tips from Blair and Wayne on how mid-market organizations should plan people, process, and technology to build a world-class finance function. So to get started, I, you know, let's set some context. In the age of digitization, CFOs must act now to drive competitive advantage for their organizations or they'll be left behind. So Blair, what or when, according to you, is the right time for founders of the business to hire finance leaders? So founders uh, of businesses typically will reach out to a CFO when they're ready to start scaling their business. And, and they're probably going to need capital. They'll need infrastructure. They'll need reporting. Uh, and that's probably the first time they're going to say, you know, I need a finance person. And so um, in those early stages, you know, I've, I've been a CFO of a startup where there was myself and a founder. Um, you know, very, that was very early being brought in. Uh, but the impetus for that one was uh, raising capital and going public very quickly. It was in a blockchain uh, application. Uh, other times you can go quite a ways because there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, seed capital that might be spent over, you know, a year or two proving out a prototype. Um, and you may not need a, a CFO or certainly not a full-time CFO. You may just want to tap into a, a part-time CFO um, or a fractional CFO. And uh, that might be sufficient. Until you get to that point where you need to uh, build a, um, a financial presentation or raise some capital or you start, um, you know, having monthly reports of financial results that need to be shared with stakeholders and users like banks and the like. And then you may want to think about uh, bringing on a CFO. So you really need to have that that critical mass uh, behind your business before you're going to reach out and, and, and find somebody. 
So Blair, if we narrow down on growing companies aiming to grow into enterprises, let's say in the next five to 10 years, right? Or um, uh, even the companies that are aiming mergers and acquisitions. So for such companies, how would hiring a CFO early on help? CFOs will be uh, you know, helpful in terms of, um, uh, well, there's a number of different things that, that CFOs can do that really adds a lot of value. You know, we, we can do reporting, but to be honest, that's not the best use of a CFO. You, you probably hire a, a controller type to deal with the, the reporting stuff. And so, um, you know, CFOs are really help, useful in terms of bringing that, that value-added skill that helps a business scale. And so scaling requires uh, a couple of things. It requires building a team. It requires, you know, putting processes and systems in place. And of course, it requires uh, a skill to help uh, the development and the execution of strategy. And that strategy could be through either organic growth or, or a business pipeline of, of products that they're trying to bring to market. Or some companies will accelerate that by using mergers and acquisitions. And so that's a, a part where a CFO will reach out with perhaps uh, a director of corporate development or the CEO to identify uh, targets in the sector, the desired sector, uh, evaluate those tar targets, screen those targets, perform due diligence, negotiate the transaction, value the transaction, um, then bring it to a, a term sheet and a purchase and sale agreement. And then eventually uh, integrate that that acquisition into uh, into a business. And so again, CFO would be uh, you know a key right hand person for for the, the team to make that happen and bring that uh, merger and acquisition to a successful conclusion. My next question is for you, Wayne. Post pandemic, digitization has become a mandate for CFOs, but there is still a dilemma: whether to accelerate business growth through digital initiatives or preserve or restore uh, organizations' financial health by cutting costs. So uh, what would you recommend uh, in terms of finding the right balance? So you have a lot of wiggle room, as we like to say. Um, it's taking a look at your budget and making intelligent cuts and reallocations. So when I talk to people about cash flow problems, you know, sometimes you can increase revenues, but a lot of times you have to cut your costs. But cutting a cost is just not cutting costs. It's reallocating some of those uh, savings to, to, to go back into productivity to help raise revenues. So for a business, you have to look at what technologies you need to adopt. I mean, you may not have a choice. You, you want to go sell to department stores or big box stores and they use EDI. You don't have a choice, you must use EDI. But there are different EDI vendors out there at different price points. And if you're able to have some uh, variance in who you could choose, sometimes you can't, then, then what you do is you, you try to find the most cost-effective solution. Uh, on, the, on the flip side is you can turn around and say, not everybody needs access to our accounting ERP system so that we're not going to give you user access. And if there's a, a per user access fee, well, you've just saved some money. Uh, and not everybody needs it, even though they think they need it. So it, it's intelligent use of your dollars to maximize the effort to, to digitize or become more computer centric. Um, 
also by doing it the right way, you're able to decrease errors and then you're going to save money on manpower on most costs are, are, are payroll, salary, or manpower. So if you're able to save money in uh, configuring your systems to be more automatic, less user intervention, and you set it up correctly the first time, you don't have to worry about auditing everything that you have. Got it. Uh, how about uh, creating values in the long run? Uh, CFO inhibitions can have detrimental effects. Do you agree with that? Or is that something that you've even seen happen? You know, that's why you reforecast your budget on a monthly basis, or some decision made last month may no longer be valid with new information. A lecturer at Columbia University in, in New York, and I came in with a, a plan on how I was going to teach it. And I sort of did a poll of the students and found out that none of them knew accounting. It was, a, it was for programmers who had to do with project management. So I, you know, I had to change my whole lecture on the fly, which came back to an important concept that plans are dynamic, not static. So you have to be nimble. Companies that are no longer nimble have the greatest uh, difficulty in sustaining themselves. So Wayne, in that case, when companies are, let's say, uh, today planning for uh, what their finance functions should look like in 2025 and beyond, what would you say would help them to ensure um, the risks associated with, let's say, cost cutting today? Today, more than ever before, especially when you use cloud-based systems, which used to be called client server, back in the, in the day when I had a beard that was not gray, <laughs> you, um, everything now can be connected through APIs. So you don't want somebody to enter data three times. You want them to enter once and through the magic of APIs, it appear in, in all the systems. So all the systems should be interconnected so that data flows. Uh, somebody just asked a, a question on a Slack system having to do with they're doing consolidation and they found that in their Excel spreadsheets, they're double counting and triple counting revenue. Uh, and my question back was, why isn't your systems doing the consolidation, which by, theoretically should allow you not to double and triple count? Assuming, of course, you configured it properly, but that's always the case. So, uh, you know, you want, you want systems that are interconnected, not siloed. Um, great examples, of, Salesforce seems to be one of the, the, the biggest and most complicated of the CRM systems. And I happened to be talking to, to a, a senior retail salesperson at this event that I went to the other day. And once you get an order and it's confirmed, they move into most systems that order into the system, into the accounting system and the order entry system. Uh, that eliminates a lot of errors because the order itself, the items, the prices, everything has been agreed upon. It's sort of, uh, which is the same concept behind EDI. Uh, the order moves in, it should be seamless, and you really shouldn't have to change the order once it's been accepted. 
coming back to you, Blair, there are a lot of cases where businesses start and the responsibilities you expect the CFO to shoulder are often done by a CEO. Do you think when a company is structured like this, there are certain areas that are left out? And uh, will it be better handled by a finance leader instead and why? Yeah, certainly. It really depends on the, the background of the CEO. You know, some CEOs are very adept at uh, raising funds and dealing with banks. Um, and then some CEOs, you know, true founders are very technical uh, because that's where they, they found a business idea. And so for those um, that are perhaps more hands-on, better at selling, better at uh, technical, better at engineering, you know, it, it, it probably behooves those kinds of CEOs to have a good, strong financial person by their side. It just it makes them well-rounded. But like I said, some CEOs are very adept at, at raising their own money, negotiating their own deals. Uh, and so I've, I've worked for both types of entrepreneurs that, that, are, that are out there and they can do both ways. Um, and so for those ones, it's perhaps not as important to have uh, a CFO uh, by their side if they, if they are financially literate or financial experts themselves. And sometimes they just need somebody to run the numbers for them, um, in which case you don't need to have as, as qualified a, a CFO. A, a good, strong controller can help them with just running numbers and making sure the financial reports are, are available. So it really depends, I think, on the competencies and the background of the CEO to determine, you know, what uh, what and how soon they need to have a, a full-time CFO uh, by their side. So this also leads me to ask my, you know, the next question. Um, how can a CFO create value in an organization in comparison to a, a financially equipped or educated CEO? So there's a lot of different ways that um, a CFO can and should be creating value in, in an organization. You know, First of all, I always see the, the role of the CFO as kind of a strong number two to the CEO. We're actually looking for opportunities and bringing back that, that mission, vision, and setting the values of the organization. But the CFO uh, really can add a lot of value because they take that, that, that in, input and, and they make it happen. They bring life to the vision. And that's usually the, the source of entrepreneurs I like to associate with myself with. And you can have, you know, you can have the most as aggressive and assertive uh, CEO out there and you have the most conservative a CFO out there and makes makes for a nice compliment, a nice mesh, uh, because they complement each other in that way. And so one, you know, uh, sets the vision, and the other one executes the vision. And so that's probably the first way that they can add value to an organization. Um, typically, CFOs will add a lot of value in terms of the credibility that they will bring to an organization because of their financial background, their experience. Um, they'll set up the reporting systems. They'll hire good people to be able to put credible reports out there. And that's foundational because that sets up the opportunity to uh, engage with stakeholders. And whether it's with a board of directors uh, on a credible basis or with lenders on a credible basis, or even if you're raising, trying to raise equity financing or with capital markets on a credible basis. And so, you know, typically your CEO um, would, would not have that same level of credibility as the CFO would. And so that's very often the second area that a CFO can, can bring value. And, and probably the third area, I'll only mention three, but the, the third area uh, that we add tremendous value is around the cost of capital, managing cost of capital, which is through raising financing. And there's so many different sources of financing to, to raise today. And so it's knowing which sorts of investors to engage at which stages of a company's life cycle. So early stage companies will engage often with, with venture uh, 
funds, whereas later stage, um, uh, more mature companies will try to use more debt leverage. And whether they're doing it through private markets or through commercial banks, you know, that really depends on the, the, the nature of the, the situation and the context that they find themselves in. So a CFO is usually well positioned to figure out what's the lowest sources of lowest cost sources of capital um, that are available so that, uh, you know, and that, and that can add tremendous value to, to any organization. Understood. Uh, Wayne, we just uh, discussed the need to consolidate uh, disparate system into an integrated system. Given the disparate systems can become blockers for CFOs to implement new technologies and silos and spread out of data repositories. Uh, this to some extent keeps CFO offices from building world-class finance functions. For CFOs struggling through these issues, what approach would you say can help their offices get right back on track? That being said, is is everything begins with a plan. And from the plan, you process what, what you're going to do. So that's business process mapping. You do it in a gap analysis, and then you execute the plan. So the plan then becomes the new plan, which is how are we going to go from A to B, which is gap analysis. And, and, and you start moving the data over, which entails you know, dumping data from disparate system one and input, inputting it in to we'll say consolidated system too. And that, you know, that takes time because of not only programming, but you need to verify. Uh, if you remember uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, when uh, he was talking about the Russians, not, you know, years ago, it was trust and verify. You know, you have to trust the programmers did right, but you have to verify your data. That's the number one thing when you put in a new system is verify that the outcome is what you intended, not something else. If you talk about order to cash cycle, what would you consider to be the most uh, crucial process to be automated and why? The receipt of the order into the order entry system uh needs to be automated if at all possible because then the a there's error checking if the uh, customer put in the wrong item or the wrong price um it then uh if you have the employee do it you have you have another chance for an error manually so there's two errors because now they sent you a piece of paper, whether electronic or not, and you're manually entering it in. So they may not know the agreed upon pricing. It may not be in the matrix that's built into the system. Uh, so so that, that's number one. That also frees up a tremendous amount of time. Uh, you know, from order to uh, the warehouse management system back into invoicing should all be automated. Obviously, you know, as you ship, that's a manual process, but, you know, the, the, the flow of the information once something is shipped should be automated. Um, cash receipts is semi-automated when the money comes in. Uh, collections is semi-automated. And, uh, uh, and let's go back to cash receipts. Why is it semi-automated? Because if you send out an invoice for $100 and they send the $100, you have to match it up, but the systems nowadays will... Pretty do, do a pretty good job of saying 
does this look like this? Say yes, and you're done. Uh, but what if they send in $99? Now you have to decide what you're going to do. Uh, if you do ED, uh, excuse me, e-com systems, and you which all take credit cards, every day the credit card company sends you uh, back a, a check that that's net of discounts, and now you have you can have 50, 100, 500 different orders that now you have to match up. So again, a little bit more work, but it's manual to some extent. Um, so that's the cash receipt side. Then the collection side, which is the ultimately end of the, of the of the path when things don't come in, you know, within terms, is high touch and high tech. High tech because you send out statements. That's automated. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, if that doesn't work, you need a collector to make phone calls. You also need a collector to find out why you did certain things on your payment. Why is this deduction there? So you're never going to be able to automate that. You know, even though some of the, uh, like I mentioned before, department stores will send you a notice, you know, dig it out because their systems are really bad and then figure out what they did. And you still have to make a phone call and go, why did you do this? Let me understand your thinking of why you took a charge back or a markdown or whatever else you did. Or should be automated in the process is that uh, you're never going to get around the human intervention. Blair, you've worked at publicly listed companies, investment management companies, and companies that were acquired. Through this range of experience and as growth focus here for yourself, what are the steps that have supported, um, you know, what, is a, what are the steps for you as a CFO that supported the business's growth? You know, the first thing I, I, I would say that we, we establish is you have to do kind of the, the nuts and bolts of finance and accounting. And it's not to say I don't do reporting, but I need to hire a really good team because nothing will shoot me uh, in the foot faster than if I don't have those, those processes in place, a uh, good, uh, good reporting framework in place, you know, setting up adequate or systems so that we can report things uh, in a timely fashion. So that's that's level one, uh, and then then level two is really around trying to figure out what is the mandate of of finance, and the mandate will depend on what is the, the business plan, and so if we're in a high growth industry and we're trying to scale uh, quickly, well then you're going to need to have a, a team with competencies that that allow you to uh, allow the business to scale. So again, if it's international business, having international tax, for instance, and having access to that, whether you outsource it or insource it, but thinking about those, all the different competencies that the finance function needs to deliver on for that mandate. If you're a public company, you're going to need to have some financial reporting experts. You'll need to have internal control experts uh, on your team to, to deal with all those kind of regulatory matters. Um, and so that's probably the, the next stage. And then the final stage is, you know, I call world-class finance, which is this gets back to this idea that we have to add value uh, through strategy and strategy development. We have to add through uh, uh, value through data, data analytics, so that we're making smarter decisions. We have more predictability uh, to our, our outlooks. Uh, and, and then I come back to the idea that, yes, we have to engage with capital markets and being raising uh, funds or, or, or fundraising aware, even if we're not raising funding, we're always aware of what is the uh, investment thesis, the investment story of the company, 
and our ability to, to raise funds, uh, sometimes even when we don't need it yet, it could be in the future. So always having that posture, that hat on. Blair, in every job that we take, we learn what we do right and the mistakes we make. Are there certain learnings that you'd like to share with our viewers? Uh, no, I've learned a lot. Of, I've learned a lot of things. I've been doing, I've been uh, 30 years into my career at this point. And so, you know, and I'm always learning. I, I don't even pretend to think I, I know it all. But, um, you know, I've been CFO seven times. I've been on three corporate boards. And so I've seen a lot of different businesses over the years. And uh, probably some of the key learnings, one of the key learnings I, I, that stands out in my mind was, um, you know, I had, uh, I had recently got an MBA. This is, you know, 20 years ago. And, I, and it was my first CFO engagement. And I always thought everything was a strategy issue. And this was a turnaround company. And one of the directors came up to me and he said to me, he said, Blair, yeah, this, this company very, may very well have a strategy issue, but it's the execution that's killing it first. And so in, in my mind, and that's fundamentally changed how I approach the companies I, I get involved with. And a number of them turn, happen to be turnarounds. And so sometimes you need to do those, those basic processes that I alluded to earlier. And if you aren't doing that, don't even bother talking about strategy because you don't have the credibility, you don't have the foundation built. And so that's why that focus on execution before strategy. If you don't do that, you're, you're a turnaround. And, and it's interesting how many companies I've come to that, are, that have been around a while and they all think they're growth companies, but yet they're not executing their own business strategy very well. And so until they've, they've found what market niche, what value proposition that they bring to the market that makes them unique in the first place, there's no point in talking about mergers and acquisitions and, and organic growth strategies when they aren't even doing their existing business right. And so for in a couple of these instances, uh, where these were turnaround situations, we shrunk the business. We shrunk it down to the, the profitable core and then started talking about strategy and how to grow it. Because over the years, both of these businesses had uh, just uh, gone after uh, top line growth without uh, meaningful uh, increases in the bottom line. And so those were key learnings, execution before, before strategy. Probably the second, I'll only share two with you, but the second one is the importance of people. And there's been all kinds, you know, I haven't gotten as far in my career, the organizations I've worked with haven't gotten as far and haven't been as successful without the people. And, you know, that seems like an easy statement to make, but there's so much uh, that can be done on uh, people management and leadership that um, you think is people take for granted, but it's very rare in, in the real world to see uh, good people management and good leadership good leadership skills. And so, you know, one of the mistakes I've made, you know, very often you'll try to go out there and hire people who, you know, may be the cheapest or the people who may be, you know, you can train and develop people. You know, I'm fond of this expression that sometimes you pay peanuts and you get monkeys. And so it's sometimes I go out there and I try right now, I try to hire the very best people I can find. And sometimes I have to pay more for them, but I find they pay off in spades. And so it, uh, I'm very conscious of of talent, not only recruitment, but talent retention, talent development. And I think as a CFO, you know, I am a finance guy, but I, that's become probably the secret of my success is focusing in on, on the people because good people will deal with processes. Good people will deal with systems. Good people will deal with, with strategy issues. Uh, but if you don't have good people, you can't deal with any of those things. And so uh, a huge amount of emphasis goes into people management, uh, talent management and leadership. If you talk about cash posting, um, I think the process that is most manual is collecting checks. 
And when you have these checks, you have to map them with your remittances and then record the payments. So Wayne, uh, this is a question for you. So in your experience, based on your peer interactions, which part of the cycle is most automated today? <laughs> uh, I mean, Europe and, and, and Asia, everybody's using wires. So while you might get a payment advance notice, you're waiting for it to come in the bank. The bank is accurate enough, all right? So in other words, it has the company name and has the amount, the amounts exactly match up. The AI in a lot of the accounting systems today, from the low-end systems like QuickBooks and Xero to you know the high-end systems, be they Microsoft Dynamics, uh, Sage, Intact, NetSuite, or SAP, JD Edwards, will match, will match up your checks. And of course, the system says, is this this? You know, it doesn't automatically do it. And immense saving is in, in time. So a lot of that's already being done. And with the advent of all these systems being able to read your bank account and, and download the data, I mean, you don't have to enter checks manually anymore. Mm -hmm. I remember you had to add, literally take the checks that came in the mail. Yeah. Nowadays, you could just add them up. I, I mean, you don't even have deposit slips anymore in the US. Mm -hmm. You just can scan them or bring them in and they'll scan the, the individual checks and put a uh, credit on your account in the bank. And then you just match it up afterwards and you can look at which checks came in. Mm -hmm. So um, it's been automated tremendously to double check because there, you know, there are errors. Even on the flip side with, um, with uh, positive pay, which is a process to make sure that you, the company, actually wrote this check because we've all been victims of attempted fraud. They make mistakes. No, it could be the check. It could be in there and they read the, the scanner read the check wrong and they bounced the check and you want the destruction to been bounced. Now, your, the copy you're showing me is exactly what I wrote but this, and exactly what's in the system, but you still bounced it. So you always need a human being. Now, that's why you'll never get, you know, as much as one of the big uh, topics in accounting is getting rid of accounting Salaries because of AI, yeah, you'll get through to some people, but the percentage is going to be very low. You know, some of the clerks that mm -hmm. you used to use, but so you'll go from bookkeepers or, or, or accounting clerks to accountants that are more trained that will be able to do some more analysis. Understood. There are CFOs today who are looking to manage cash seamlessly. What steps would you recommend them to take so that their finance function can be on the path to success? In your accounting system, if that's not clean, you know, there's an old data uh, cliche, garbage in is garbage out. Well, you're already going to get garbage in, so your cash flow uh, management will be off, your runway will be off. So you need clean data, you need a good accounting system. Second is your budget and your forecasts. You really need, in my opinion, to forecast on a monthly basis. And the re-forecast or the forecast, whichever way you want to look at it, is not as time intensive as the budget. It's looking at what information have you garnered and what has changed. In sales, that, that can move your different sales lines up and down. 
you may have had a price increase in what you were sale, and or you might have a new estimation of how many units you're going to sell. So you need to do a, a, a monthly reforecast out for 18 months. So you're over rolling 18 months. And you have to understand that three months out is pretty accurate. Four to six months is uh, not so accurate. 12 months to 18 months is really a wild ass guess, a wag. After 18 months, uh, you're kidding yourself. Unless you have unless you have contracts out that long, that's a joke. On the expense side, you know what your rent's going to be. And if you have a three-year contract, you know exactly what it's going to be for three years. It's not going to change with the exception of maybe your share of taxes. All right. So you would uh, find out what the taxes are and reforecast that part of your rent. Uh, telephones, you know, bills are may or may not remain constant. You know, uh, you know, TV is always a, a crap sheet. That's one of the areas that uh, you know you you can play with a lot and cut. Um, advertising is something where if you have a long-term advertising campaign, you might have a, a better feel for it. Uh, the biggest area and the biggest expense that you have sans uh, salaries, which needs to be reforecast every month because you constantly have different head counts and raises and whatnot, is if you sell a product, your buys. And your buys need to be adjusted and maintained based on your sales forecast. If you, if you buy a lot of goods based on a 60-day turnaround time and you're selling it in 120, you're going to have cash flow problems because you're not recouping your investment plus your profit. And this very important topic, or, or cliche, not a cliche, but a line, you can't spend profits. You can only spend cash. So now you have the two biggest uh, inputs into your cash flow system, which is good accounting and your, your budget's forecasts. And then you need a, a system, and the best way of doing it is having an automated system. Uh, like a product like Dry Run, or and there are others out there. There's some called Centene, there are a few others that will allow you to take these inputs in, and it will quickly calculate what your runway is. So it's always better to know ahead of time that you can run out of cash, because unless you have built-in lines of credit, it takes time to to factor or get an asset-based lender or a loan from the bank uh, or an investor, as the case may be. So um, you want to computerize it. Doing it in Excel is mind-numbing, going slow. But you have to enter all the data. I mean, some of the data you might have, your budget's going to enter in through a, an import from Excel. But a budget is much easier than literally going there. What if you, you need to model and change certain assumptions? All right. If you have a system that does it, and it, all it takes is saying, okay, increase everything by 5%, and it does it, that's a lot easier than building it into Excel and changing the number, then going back and going back and going back. With some of these softwares, you just create a new um, forecast. It reads the same basic data in. You can put in the same um, uh, budget, and then you can say add 5% to sales. 
you can make the bet, you know, all sorts of things. So that's what I would suggest people do for cash flow. And it's one of the things that my company does for, for, for customers. All right. Uh, you know, drifting a little um, on the other side, um, human resources play a major role in ensuring that you're building world-class CFO's office. That comes me to talk about the CFO's team. Uh, so we see that one of the key drivers for great resignation in general is the employee motivation to work because um, often they are assigned mundane and laborious tasks. Uh, do you think automation could be one of the things that can be implemented to solve this problem? Uh, because automation can take away this mundane and repetitive work. It very well could be. Um, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, depending on the maturity of your organization, for many organizations, somebody has to put those invoices into a system. And that can be mundane and, and all that stuff. And so until you get to uh, an RPA solution, uh, robotic processing uh, automation solution or something like that, somebody's got to put those invoices in. And so some of the ideas, like I, 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 I with my teams, what I do is I, I set a roadmap. And once a quarter, we have a strategy planning. And then we have once a year, we have an annual strategy planning for the finance department. And on that roadmap, we have a, a three-stage maturity model that we've developed. One level one is very much a compliance level, which is just you know trying to get financial statements and processing transactions, just getting stuff out the door. And you know th through my own experience and and through being a thought leader in the in the space is over half of organizations out there live in this level one, and level one is not a fun place to be because you're always just trying to keep up with the 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 waves of invoices coming at you, just getting the statutory reporting done, filing the tax returns, filing the remittances. You know, it's it's very administrative feeling. It's not adding a lot of value to an organization. But there's so many things that are coming at the finance function today, from the regulations to the legislations to the tax rules to the this to that. That to, there's everything coming at us that we just are we're overwhelmed. And so level two is trying to get a get get control of that. And, and level two is uh, you know I, I use the I use the analogy of a train with my own team as I talk about you know there's uh, you know. The caboose is level one. You're, you're lagging the organization. You're just trailing. You're trying to keep up. Level two is when you get to become a passenger on that train. And a passenger means that we do have good uh, processes. We do have adequate systems. We do have people who are competent, uh, motivated, and, 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 and uh, we're in the loop on everything that's going on. So we're dealing with issues as they come up in real time as opposed to leaving them till year end or quarter end to deal with them. So that's level two. And then world-class finance is level one. And that's where you are, you know, you're leading the train. That, that, that strong number two right beside the CEO. And a good CFO will have a team behind them that enables that to happen. And so those are kind of the, 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 the three levels of, of making that happen. So the great resignation in, in my mind is like you, you have to tantalize people with the, the art of the possible. You know, I can't do robotic process automation overnight. That's a big undertaking. You know, it may take a year to transform. And so this, this roadmap, I call it the finance transformation roadmap, it can take, you know, years to make this happen. You know, at, at Mara, my current one, I've been there four years now. And we went from, when I, the day I started four years ago, we were a flat level one. And we, we do, I have maturity assessment. There's 23 indicators. And you just say whether you're one, two, or three. We were ones all the way down because we were an R&D company. I was largely tracking uh, costs. It didn't need much more than that. But as the company went through that R&D stage is now commercializing and now it's going, it's trying to glow globally, the expectation, the mandate has very much changed. And so I've had to figure out how do I transform 
that finance function from just a back office into something you know that's more value added, value driven um, in in its in its delivery. And so we've got this roadmap of all these different things. And generally speaking, the people who have been there each year, we see incremental improvements, and that you know that gives people something to look forward to. It gives us something to always be working on. Uh, it gives people a career track. And whether you're getting a promotion or not, as a company grows, you grow in your role, you learn new things. And so uh, I, I think this idea of, of uh, mundanity of, of, of tasks, I think that if, if you are a static organization and you have that mindset that this is all there is, then you know I, I could see why people would get tired of that. Now, um, and then uh, opposingly, if somebody has this opportunity that the world around us is changing and we have to adapt to that world, you know, I, I firmly believe that accounting is in the news distribution business. Whether we like it or not, you know, we, we live in a Twitter world. And accounting and finance over the last couple of decades has not changed that much. We still report financial results in 45 days or, or year-end results in 90 days. That doesn't align with the Twitter world. And so are we reporting old news uh, or are we reporting real-time news? And and then, of course, the other challenges, are we reporting, uh, you know, real news or are we are we reporting fake news? And that too is a challenge in the finance. And so anybody who sits there and tells me that, you know, there's nothing that we can do to improve and engage our people to, to be stronger, I think they're missing a lot of opportunities out there because no matter what organization you're in, there's, there's, there's opportunities to adapt to what we see in the world uh, around us. All right. So now that we are at the end of the session, I want to understand and ask your parting thoughts for our listeners and viewers on lines of uh, how you would recommend our listeners to build a world-class finance function that drives uh, their businesses to success. Some of the, the thoughts I've shared with you here today, number one is uh, it's about the people. So um, the, this, this idea that we're just finance people and if you, and a lot of CFOs, you know, we've, we've all come up, we've all got designations, we've come up through the controller office or the finance function, but there's, uh, when, you, when you become that CFO, it becomes almost a, a big chunk of your job becomes leadership and talent management. And so recognize that, embrace that, uh, because it is the secret to your your success. Um, the second idea that I think I, I talked a little bit about was this idea of a, a, a roadmap, a maturity model. I don't care what you call it, but it, it gives people the opportunity to look forward. Not And so we look forward 90 days. We look forward a year. And we also look forward indefinitely to determine what what it is our mandate is and how we're going to get there. And I don't overwhelm my team by saying, listen, you're going to achieve this in the next 90 days or the next year. It's over years. The transformation gradually happens and it's remarkable. Each year, our, our little needle is, is changing and getting a little more progressive and we're getting a little bit closer to what our, what our fulfilling the mandate that we've set for ourselves. And so I, I'd say that's, that's a, a key thing as well. And then the, probably the final parting tip for the, the CFO is to recognize the opportunity to uh, increase your value add in your organization. Uh, I think um, a lot of people, because of our backgrounds, uh, a lot of CFOs are you know, CPAs or, or accountants or finance people. We, we rely heavily on the numbers, but it's the softer side of selling numbers that makes us influential, gives us clout, um, makes us powerful strategic thinkers. And so it's taking that data, it's taking that, those numbers and spinning them into stories. It's, it's showing the impact of those things. It's negotiating. It's, uh, it's the soft skills that actually make you um, 
uh, a very powerful individual. And, and, and a lot of CFOs, as they just get, the, get into that corner office, don't spend as much time or don't recognize the importance of cultivating all those soft skills like relationship building and team building and communication skills and leadership skills. Those are the things. I don't do very much technical anymore. It's all my soft skills and, and learning to use other people to, um, to communicate and deliver the message that make me effective as, as a, a CFO and a leader in an organization. And when I say plan, I also mean look at your business plan. Look at your mission statement. And this is CFO can do with the other C-suite members. See if things are, are, have changed. Nothing's worse than starting off as a pure one brand e-commerce uh, company, all of a sudden going up to eight different brands, which means a lot more inventory. Um, then selling white label and opening up an office halfway around the world, which wasn't part of the initial plan. So all the decisions based on the initial plan were no longer, uh, I won't say valid, but uh, would have been different. So you, you always need to reassess. And the best time to reassess is every month when you do your, your, your reforecast. It gives you time to see incremental changes and see what, what, what the CEO is thinking about and what marketing is thinking about and, and where you think you're going to go. And the CFO is right in with all those discussions because your job is to say no. <laughs> Great. I think this was an awesome discussion. So thank you so much, Blair and Wayne. Uh, it was uh, great speaking with both of you, and I'm sure your inputs on this session uh, will help CFOs build world-class finance functions. So thank you so much for your time once again. And for our viewers out there, you can watch complete episodes with our guest speakers on the link in the comment section. And we'll be back next month with another roundup of industry stalwarts and thought leaders. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to the Mid-Market CFO Circle community to never miss an episode. See you next month. Stay tuned.